0: This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, the Wings return and it was almost a complete success. Former captain turned color man Scott Gabrielson checks in. We have our weekly chat with Pat Gregoire. Regional attorney for the PLPA, Elliot Takuchi updates us on some free agents. And King Coy from The Mammoth stops by. All that and more on OTCB. What's good lacrosse fans and welcome to another edition of the off the crossbar podcast here on soundcloud and nll radio my name is teddy jenner what is going on it's almost christmas time so make sure you get your favorite podcast host their favorite gift extra bourbon you can never have enough Uh, if you want to find me on twitter at off the crossbar i prefer makers mark or knob creep but i'm never going to turn down a bottle of Basil Hayden. Um, you can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Um, you can also buy me some bourbon if you see me out at a game. I will, again, not turn it down. Speaking of Christmas, we got ourselves a fantastic opening weekend of lacrosse as if Christmas came early, and an even better Christmas gift, the mammoth are finally in action this weekend. We'll talk to head coach and interim general manager Pat Coyle about the game against the San Diego Seals. As Steve Govett now becomes the enemy, and the Seals will swim into town. Um, I want to—I'll tell you a little crazy or a fun story um, about a podcast in a little bit. Uh, got into it with some uh, San Diego people, San Diegans, San Diegans, San Diegans, San Diegans, San, Diegans. Um, San Diegoites. Um who have started a SEALs podcast. I recommend listening to it. I'll give my thoughts on about it, uh, about it in a minute. Um, but uh, also on the show, Scott Gabrielson, uh, he is doing the color commentary for the Wings games. I thought he did an excellent job uh, riding along shotgun with Booker Corgan, who had an up and down game, and he'll admit that. Uh, he can only get better. But let me tell you, if you want a guy that's going to throw some cliches and some hip-hop vernacular, Booker's your guy. He was coming up with one-liners like I had never heard before since to the back of the net. And he's got rope. Two of the more iconic lacrosse phrases. Book Corrigan's writing his own script for those Wings games. Can't say I hate it. Can't say I hate it. Uh, so Scott Gabrielson will join us. Um, it's an incredible chat because you can feel the passion in his voice. And just the enthusiasm and excitement he had now that the Wings are back. Uh, Pat Gregoire will stop by as our weekly chat with Smoke and Pat. And Elliot Sakuchi, a regional attorney for the PLPA, a players rep, if you will. Um, He represents, uh, among others, Nick Belich and Robert Church of the Saskatchewan Rush. And those two, along with Mike Messenger, Kevin Crowley, Curtis Dixon, Westberg, all still without contracts for the National Lacrosse League clubs, all still not reporting, and to be honest, in speaking with most of those people and a lot of their representatives, their deals aren't really close, and that's unfortunate. I. And I can say that's not good for the sport because, obviously, we all want our best players playing. As a selfish mammoth guy, love it. But in general, for the sport of the National Lacrosse League, to not have those guys is tough. And for fans of those teams, it's tough. And for general managers, it has to be tough. Because they you can't say that either Mike Board or Paul Day or um, Derek Keenan would look you in the eye and say, no, we're better off without those guys. That is a farce. That is a lie. I don't know why I said Paul Day because Kevin Crowley's not in Philadelphia. Kevin Crowley's been to England. That is where Rich Lisk is the general manager. He would say he would want Kevin Crowley in the lineup. Obviously, there are extenuating circumstances, so we'll talk about some of those with Elliot Saccucci and see if he can clear up Some things and it actually is quite a very enlightening chat if you aren't too familiar with some of the ins and outs of lacrosse backroom deals and and contracts Elliot dropped some knowledge that maybe some people aren't too aware of Uh, but first it was week one let's recap it it was in a word splendiferous
1: Dane Smith the big-time point getter he is an offensive threat and they come out and get it done right out of the blocks the oh, there we go the sniper! Ladies and gentlemen, the first one, Vaughn Harris. Logs on to www.istingcorners.com. Catch, release, oh! stings a 90-degree corner. Vaughn Harris, welcome to the Philadelphia Wings. Nice tough play on the sideboards. Shot, goal, goal. Jump back, kiss myself, so pretty. Let it be said, let it be done. Tie ball game 15-15. God, what a shot by Sean Evans to break the tie. With 105 left, the worm burner beats D'Ruzio.
2: And so here comes the swarm. Here is Miles. Flips it across. Shot is wide gets it back and SCORES! I don't think he drew up that bank off the boards. <laughs> Better lucky than good from that standpoint. The shot was wide by Stotts, and it goes right into Miles Thompson, who just beats Jameson, who's out of position. And Mike Pullen grabs that loose ball wisely, and a long home run pass for Jordan McIntosh complete! McIntosh circles back, shot SCORE! And they try to find... Cutter again, and Keely has to get that loose ball. Circles back, throws it in the middle to O'Connor. Shot, score. Well, the third time, Bradley O'Connor cut in the middle, and it finally buried it. And they allowed Jameson to get in there and score anyway. If that was me bringing that ball up, you asked me what I do on the
1: offensive side of the floor, I would have just shot that ball right away. But they did a I great, great job of being patient.
2: Was waiting for as they allowed Jamison to get all this. Bonbury all alone, all he has to do is shoot it, and it goes in but they send it back and Gatoni ends up beating him anyway.
1: Tied 0-0 with 12 and a half to go in this opening quarter. There's a shot, scores! Keegan Ball gets the goal and it's 1-0 Warriors. One on one with Aaron Gould. Toby picks up the ball in center. He's gonna come in from the left side. Toby shoots and scores! Jay Doby with the penalty shot. Patrick Goal. and the Roughnecks are down by one. Ray plays it over. McCready now, shots behind the back. Now it comes in front, scores! James Ray ties the game on a broken play right on top of the crease. And it's 13-13 to Riley Lowen who gives it to Doby. 15 to shoot. Doby now winds, fires, takes the shot, folds the save. Matt Beers, Beers has numbers, Beers into the zone, takes the shot, he scores! Matt Beers, the captain of the Warriors, ends it! And Vancouver, with the come from behind win, takes
0: it 14 to 13. A 14-13 win for the Vancouver Warriors, their first in quote unquote franchise history. I use the air quotes because are they still not that franchise that came from Albany, moved to San Jose, went up the coast to Everett, hopped over the border to Langley, crossed a couple of bridges and went downtown to Vancouver? Regardless, congratulations, Warriors. That was a hell of a victory and an incredible comeback. They score the last five goals, in the fourth quarter, after being down by five, got a bit of a lucky bounce off the chest of Dan McRae. I'm not really sure who Logan Shuss was passing to. It worked out, and then Beersy in OT with an absolute beauty. And I said that it was, on Twitter. I said when he crossed center, I said, "Go ahead, Beersy. Why not?" And I said it to myself, thinking to myself, watching that game as a crowd, as a fan of this, if I was there what i said and sure enough beers stepped over the line shot it through a screen beat del bianco and the captain leads his team to victory and everyone kind of jumped on me because i said what a way to lead uh, as the first captain or his first year of captain and everyone's always captain with vancouver in the, when they were the stealth yes i know but they have new uniforms New colors, new logo, new coaching staff, new GM, and they appointed and chose Matt Beers as the captain. So this was his first time leading them as the captain. So let's focus on a couple things quickly in each of those three games. Um, I thought Vancouver showed a lot of heart and guts coming back in that fourth quarter. Uh, Kurt Miloski said it in his post-game interviews. You can find him uh, on the Roughneck Socials where he said, you know, we, they have a young team. Uh, they took their foot off the gas. They, they kind of started to look backwards. They weren't going forwards, and it cost them. And that's very true. As a young team missing, King, Berg, Dixon, there's a lot of youth in that roster that haven't really been in that position before. And your home opener, season opener, uh, in front of 10K in the Saddle Dome. That's a big opportunity for some of those kids, and I thought they handled it quite well, but it, they'll learn from it. They obviously need to find some more secondary scoring, does Calgary. Obviously, Reese Dutch and Dane Doby can't be everything, um, and if they get King Dixon and Berg back at some point during this year, um, then obviously their offense balances out. But Without those guys, they're going to have to find a way, and that defense is going to have to be able to stop those runs late in that game. And unfortunately, they couldn't do it. Vancouver scored the final five, including and plus the one in overtime to take it 14-13 in what was a very, very fantastic game and a great way to end the weekend. Uh, The middle game was the Georgia game down in Georgia, New England. Um, a announced crowd of 49-43. They, too, were treated to a great game. Georgia wins by four. Uh, The depth of Georgia's offense continues to shine. Uh, Just the amount of guys that are putting balls in the back of the net for that club, they just continue to find offensive numbers. Uh, You get seven from Holden Katoni in his Georgia debut. You get eight from Randy Stats, You get seven from Lyle. You get four from Miles. Uh, You get four from Shane O'Jack. And this is a team uh, that loses King. They lose Matisse. They lose Hall and they still are able to put up 16 goals on a New England team that kind of struggled at the start of the game. Uh, Dougie Jameson got the start. Um, He ends up making 15, or he gives up 15, ends up making 44 saves on 59 shots. Uh, I liked New England's comeback after going down by the first two goals. They really battled themselves back thanks to the power play. I think there'll be some growing pains. We've talked about growing pains in New England, and if they get Crowley back, great. If they don't, I think they have to be able to focus on moving forward with this group. Uh, I'm interested to see what Georgia does and how they can, if they can continue uh, this trend moving forward because that Georgia club is very lethal. I still believe they are one of the top two teams in the NLL East along with Buffalo, uh, and they really showed their moxie in that fourth quarter, uh, even though New England was pressing. Uh, Georgia was able to hang on in that win getting two late goals from Katoni and then Ranigan into the empty net. And then the final game and we'll touch on some of these subjects with um, Scott Gabrielson who will join us in a minute but you kind of had to know that coming out of the gate the wings would I don't they weren't flat they were just unable to match the intensity of the moment. And that is very understandable having played on three expansion teams Uh, anaheim minnesota and edmonton that moment where you step onto the floor whether it's your first year in the league or eighth year in the league that moment where you step on the floor as a brand new team at home there's nerves and there's jitters and you find that peak intensity but once the the hype builds up and then the first whistle goes you kind of go into a blank stare and 30 seconds into the game you saw that blank stare from the wings defense as Hogarth took the pick-and-roll pick from Dane Smith and scores on Buckin to make it one nothing 30-in. And by the 545, even before they get to the first TV timeout, they're down three. And they get to that TV timeout, and they can finally settle down and calm themselves. And they're able to battle back, and they battle back, and they kept on coming. And every punch Buffalo gave them, they punched right back. Even if a referee tried to get in the way, they'd punch right back. They got it to 15-15. And then everybody's most hated player, Sean Evans, breaks their hearts. And the rivalry from, between Buffalo and Philadelphia was instantly re-sparked, not only with that goal and his celebration, but the ensuing attempt to fight from Chet Kinesny and Mitch DeSnu. Instantly built. Can't wait for the rematch between these two teams. Trevor Baptiste chips a tooth, gets to put on Gabrielson's jofa. Let's talk to him about it. Uh, I chatted with him on Monday, and the first thing we talked about just the emotions that he had, feeling when that game started. The wings were back as he's doing color commentary. Everything that surrounded that day, how monumental and special was Saturday. That
3: was a great day. I mean, you know, talking with. Fans and talking with former players, alumni, coaches—you name it. Even even guys. When I had a chance to talk with Steve Dietrich and John Tavares and Rich Kilgore, coaches for their team, like everybody, it was a dark day when the the Wings relocated. So to have them back in a short period of time, just four short years, um, was really a you know a a, you know a great. you know, time for Philadelphia, and the city, to have this great franchise back, and one of the most successful franchises in the league. And uh, you know, the fans came out and, and you know certainly showed their their love for their team. Um, so it's really cool to have them back. It's it's great to have them back and powered by Comcast, mm-hmm. right? So Comcast Spectacor owns the team. They own the, the building, the arena. Uh, they they share all marketing with the Philadelphia Flyers. So I think it's just a great thing, kind of fill us wings to be back in the National Cross League and kind of have some rivalries we need across the board.
4: Yeah, I thought it was a, a a great ode to wings of the past and the rivalries of the past. That their first game was against the Bandits, just to to spark that rivalry that used to be so strong back in the day.
3: Yes, no doubt about it. And it, you know, I think um, actually, you know, Coach Paul Bay you know, asked me to come to practice the night before the kind of give them a little feel about what they're about to, you know, embark on and expect and, you know, through a, a very passionate fan base and, and kind of what it means to be a Philadelphia wing and the success we've had over the years. And, you know, those, that team right now, although it's an expansion team, they stand on the shoulders of those that came, those players that came before them. And, uh, you know, names like, you know, Gary and Paul Gate, Tom Marichek and Dallas Elliott and Jake Berge, you know, guys that, they had their numbers raised to, to the, the mm-hmm. Raptors on Saturday. So, I mean, that was a really special moment for those guys again and for the old uh, guard to be recognized once again for the old championship teams. And, you know, let the new team appreciate, you know, what what happened before them and the pride and tradition that they're now attached to. And to a man, I mean, after talking to a bunch of the guys, a bunch of players after the game, I mean, they loved it. It's mm-hmm. just a, such a passionate, you know, Loud bunch, you know. It's like they're not very friendly when you're opposing teams, <laughs> but it's, it's fun
4: to play. It's really fun to play if the are well For you, you know, as a former player and rekindling with some of those guys, you know, I know Hollywood was there, Bergie was there as the members went back up to the Raptors. But how cool is it just to see them and but to see some of those old fans? I'm sure you recognize some faces walking around around the, the arena during the game and after the game and before the game. How cool is it just to see a lot of familiar faces?
3: Very cool. Very, very um comforting. And, you know, made, it's, it made us all very proud. I mean, we were part of something very special for a long time. And having won, you know, six world championships and back-to-back in 89 and 90 and then 94 and 95 and 98 and 01, I mean, we had a real special connection With a city that was really hungry for a champion, and uh, we established some some great bonds with the fans. And there's fans that were season ticket holders for 28 straight years. Yeah, and uh, they were they were really hurt to have to see the team go, and uh, could not be happier to have us back. um, You know, four years later, but kind of you know rebranded, but still the wins and still pro lacrosse in Philadelphia. So. You know, it's great to see old teammates and old like, coaches, and um, we're as proud as anybody. I mean, it was an important part of our lives as players, and we value the experience that we have and the rings that we wear, the championship rings we wear. Um, and it's just great to you know have it back. And uh, I think to a man, to the current team, to you know, have a connection with the old, with the past teams, is um, great for Philadelphia, great for the National CrossFit.
4: agreed there, Scott. Uh, You mentioned Paul Day um, asking you to come to the practice uh, and talk with the guys. Um, I've seen a picture that you actually gave them your old Joseph helmet as a (laughs) wing warrior of the game. Uh, Did you just have that sitting in a closet waiting for the right moment?
3: You know what? It was at a bar in Contra Hocken the Gatoway
4: Tavern. on a shelf for
3: the past, you know. The bar's been open for, say, 13 years now, but... Yes, and up there, you know, on a dusty shelf. And Paul specifically asked for it. He said, do you have an old, you know, Jopa helmet. He's like, I really would love it. I want to give it out after every game. And I said, I actually do. So um, it was really great. He, you know, it's, he wanted to have that connection. And that, that is a helmet that was worn in a couple championship games and where we won titles in 89 and 90. Um, so it was pretty funny for him to see that. But. <laughs> Wonderful memento, I guess, to it's an honor to receive after every game.
4: And how did you get involved in coming back to do color along with Booker Corrigan?
3: Um, well, the team coming back, uh, Philadelphia and Comcast Spectacular, they wanted to have a true connection to the city of Philadelphia and really wanted it on TV. And as great as the Bleacher Report is and having it streamed online, they wanted something a little bit more... Uh, uh, consistent. So mm-hmm. every home game is going to be broadcast live on TV as well as um, streamed live. And, you know, I've done it when I retired in '98. You know, I came back to do color the '99 season and kind of continue to do it for Comcast Sportsnet and, and HD Network and Comcast 8 and all that. <clears throat> so when they want to do TV again, I was fortunate enough for them to reach out and, and ask me to do it. And I am the kind of a team history and have connections. They're all six championship titles and mm-hmm. um, was the captain of five of those years. And, you know, I've got great connections. they all the old guard. And, and uh, so it's a nice conduit and nice opportunity to kind of tell people about you know, what it used to be like and, and now what it's going to be like today.
4: Absolutely. And from your perspective, game one, how would you rate the team and what kind of grade level would you give them? in their return to the NLL.
3: Really impressive. Very impressed. Not, I must admit, I can't say it's exactly what I expected. It was a pleasant surprise. Uh, Buffalo jumped out on them real quick. I thought it could be a blowout. Um, but this team kind of just showed their makeup and, and their grit and, you know, just intensity. and to, to, You know, bring Buffalo to, you know, 15-15 high in the last minute. Yeah, it's pretty darn impressive. And I actually think they could have won. They probably hit five or six pipes. Um, I don't know if Buffalo was really ready for that. They expected that of an expansion team. Um, but, uh, you know, I want to say, you know, it was a loss, so it's not an A-plus, but, you know, I'm going to say it's an A-minus because mm-hmm. it uh delivered um, offensive, um, you know, scoring with 15 goals and great, uh, you know, goalkeeping. Um Showed that Paul Day knows how to coach this team. Uh, one thing that he's said, you know, to me and others, and you know, he's he hand you know crafted and drafted this team because they're a bunch of winners. The seasoned guys, the guys that've been in the league for years, have all played for championship teams, whether it's Rochester or Georgia, or you know, some young American players or national champion uh, players. So they have the taste of winning, which is something special. So kind of, you know, when you won before, you want to continue to win. And I think he's assembled a team of winners. Guys, you know, Philadelphia is used to winning in this league, and they're looking for nothing less
0: than that. Scott Gabrielson, color commentary for the Philadelphia Wings broadcast on BR Live and local Philadelphia TV, as you heard him talk about. Uh, Just a wonderful guy, uh, a guy that bleeds the old silver and black and red the guy that's been there through the thick and the thin of Philadelphia lacrosse, the highs and the lows. And he had to see his beloved wings taken away from Philadelphia, taken away from the city. And now they're back. And like I said, you could just feel the emotion in him when we were talking. And, and I appreciate Scott giving us some time because uh, I know how much of a, a moment that is. And I think... One of the things that we have to take from Saturday outside of the game was going back to a market where the NLL has been. We all know they're going back to Long Island where it's been a few times. And I was looking and digging through stats, and I found that the last time Philadelphia had a crowd anywhere near what they had this past Saturday – was back in 2009. And in that year, they finished last in the East at 5-11 and and averaged 10,264 on the year. Every year after that, and that was already in the start of a decline, they never even got over 10,000 fans. And the first game back, they get 11,023. And the game that they saw is only going to make those 11,023 all come back and turn that on July 12th into maybe like 13. And if they can pull off a win, I believe they played Georgia on that day. They pull off a win. The next game, those 13 become 15 and the wings are back. Legitimately back. And why I say this is because I hope that when they go to Long Island, the history of the teams that were there can come back. And that's why I would love for the NLL to go back to Minnesota and go back to Edmonton. Two areas where they actually had solid fan bases that had their teams ripped from them, not because they weren't supporting the team, but because the owners decided that it was a better business decision to move them. So if they can go back to Minnesota, they already have, like, a 9,000-person fan base. If they go back to Edmonton, I guarantee you that's already starting at, like, 7,000 people. So that when you have that old history and that bitter taste of a city that had their team ripped from them, when they come back, I was a little worried. I truly was a little worried about Saturday in Philadelphia. Mostly because it was a 1 o'clock afternoon start. However, they showed up in droves. Chopper was there. I was thrilled to see Chopper. They were doing the chants. I didn't hear a bad guy's goal chant or announcement by the announcer every time Buffalo scored. I don't know if they're doing that, but it was just great to see. And it was great to chat to Scott. Uh, I can't wait to see and chat with Paul Day about everything that's going on there. Um, You could just see it in the guys' faces that whole game that they wanted. I I truly wish for the sports fan in me that they would have won that game. It would have been really nice, a great way for them to end and begin that first day. Let's talk with Pat Gregoire. NLL, so many stories to tell. Let's hope our guest gives us more than stats. It's time for a chat with Smoke Game Pat. Patty G, how are you, my friend?
4: Doing good, man. Doing good. It's always uh, uh, a good Monday when uh, you get some lacrosse to watch on the weekend. Yeah, it's just a uh, quick overall thoughts uh, on the first weekend of the NLL. You know, it it was great. I, I, you know, I really enjoyed it, obviously. I think that, I, I tweeted it out. I think, you know, those Saturday afternoon games are great. Um, you know, you, you, for you guys, especially, you know, on the West Coast,
3: you're mm-hmm. barely
4: getting out of bed and you're flipping on the TV and, uh, you know, you're enjoying some lacrosse with uh, coffee. But as for the, the on-field product, the, you know, the, uh, what, what we saw out there, considering, you know, it was a short training camp, Uh, These guys must have done a great job taking care of themselves, you know, while all those labor discussions were going on because it looked like everyone was pretty fine-tuned from, you know, an athletic standpoint, obviously. Um, Some things weren't as fine-tuned, you know, uh, in the play uh, Um, with some strategy, some drop balls, but uh, overall it looked like these guys were ready to rock and roll. Just going back, you're talking about, uh, you know, Saturday afternoon games. One o'clock games on a Saturday, often a bit of a head-scratcher for fans in the National Lacrosse. It was unreal to see 11,000 people show up in Philly for that opening game. Um, You were really impressed with the Philadelphia Rookies in that game. Yeah, yeah, I really was. I mean, I think we, we talked about it last week about how, you know, they're so experienced. There's a lot of guys that are rookies because it's their first time in the league you know young guys coming out of college uh and then some of the guys that are unexperienced in the box game but have, have some pro experience but starting things off with Chris Cloutier I think he's exactly what we expected mm-hmm. he's a big body frees up space for other guys he'll either run through you uh, run around you or blast an outside shot which we saw a couple of times on the defensive side of the ball I really like what I saw from uh steph charbonneau he's a guy that was on a practice roster um last year with calgary but this is his first year as a full-time player uh you know we saw his tenacity his speed his pure athleticism we saw him score a goal as well uh but then for the guys that are, are you know played in the pro game but first time in the indoor uh matt rambo we talked about mm-hmm. him a lot last week and i think that's the type of player that we thought he was going to be and that's exactly what he was he was fearless. Loved going to the net, Uh, you know, wasn't afraid to get his nose dirty, especially on that play at the end of the game. Throws a big hit on a big body like Matt Gilray and just, you know, a a skirmish ensues and, you know, his helmet's off, but he's still going after guys. It was great to see that. Uh, Another guy new to the game, uh, the former Great Dane of UAlbany, Adam Osika, looked pretty solid in his debut, I thought. He had a
3: beautiful
4: pass and transition to Liam Patton for a goal. We knew he was going to be good in transition being a former midfielder, but I thought he was pretty solid in his own end as well. And I think the one person that everyone was probably talking about the most was Trevor Baptiste and how impressive he was at the faceoff dot going 25 for 37. I thought he was a machine on the loose ball, had his jib chip, which obviously <laughs> made him look a little bit tougher. Uh, but, you know, there were some things in the defensive zone that I saw that he could probably clean up. But, uh, I mean, it's his first game. Uh, you know, the only other box lacrosse that he's had has been that, that uh, you know, the, the Denver Collegiate League, which obviously is a, a huge jump up to the National Lacrosse League. But I think once he figures out some of those defensive concepts, uh, the guy has the potential to be a beast. Yeah, it's, it's going to be very interesting to see how all of those rookies, not just in Philadelphia, but throughout the league, Um, after they get a couple games and how quickly they progress to that next level from being rookies to
0: to being guys
4: that can compete on a regular basis. Um, Throughout the league on the opening weekend, we saw a lot of goals. I think I did the math. It was an average of about 29 goals per game or something like that. There were a lot of balls going behind goaltenders. And if you take out Dane Dobie as sort of the only real weapon that Calgary had uh, in that game, I think there is a ton of depth on the offensive side of the ball for all teams this year? I think you're absolutely right. And I think this year it's going to be even more important that you do have depth scoring. Obviously, in years past, depth scoring, huge. don't get me wrong. Like, you look at some of the top teams, like Saskatchewan, Rochester, Georgia, just to name a few, you look up and down their lineup, they've got guys on offense that can put the ball in in on demand. And that's when you see teams, uh, you know, when a top guy goes, goes down or you know guys just not having it or a team has a great defensive uh game plan to kind of key in on a guy that's when those other guys stuff up and that's that's so huge but when you add two more teams i think that's what will separate the top teams and the bottom teams is the teams that you know can have some other guys in the lineup that can score whether it be on offense or chip in uh, in transition so uh, like you said calgary Obviously, tough to really stay after the first week, especially you consider the guys that weren't in the lineup. But even New England, they only had six guys find the back of the net, uh, and one of them, uh, you know, was in transition. So, this, or actually, it wasn't even in transition. Came from the defender in Adam uh, Bomberry, but it was on an offensive set. So, I do think that you know every team does have the capability of uh, having some depth scoring but I think it's the team that has the most depth up front that at the end of the year, they're the ones that are going to be playing the longest. Heading into week two, just three games, two Friday, one Saturday, we'll see three teams make their debuts. Obviously San Diego's in Colorado, so they're making their true debut. And then the Toronto Rock will take on uh, the New England Black Wolves on Friday night. Town um, Rogers named Rock captain. Uh, how important is that for him as a player Uh, But for the Rock as well, having a young guy that's going to be in the area nonstop, that's very familiar with the system that they run, and a guy that's really coming into his own. I think it's a a perfect pick for for this organization. Uh, You know, they've been preaching a lot of this offseason about how young they are, how they have a young core, and they expect this team to be good for many years. So why not pick a guy that you know is going to be around for a long time? And like you said, he's a guy that's... You know, has relocated here. He's going to be around the organization, going to be around the community. So why not put a C on a chest of a guy that you know is going to be out in the community? You know, trying to get the game of lacrosse in Toronto, get that old atmosphere back into the ACC or now Scotiabank Arena, kind of reinvigorate the passion for lacrosse in that fan base. And uh, you know, he's a guy that in the summer I got to see a lot of them with the Oakville Rock calling their games and. You know he he was the MVP of Major Series Lacrosse. Uh, You know the Rock experienced so many injuries, and he was a guy that just continued to step up and step up. And talking to you know Matt Sawyer. Uh, last year he's saying that he not only stepped up on the floor but you could see you know when some of their uh, you know older guys on the team went down into injury he started to then take more of a leadership role and I think you know having Jamie Dowick, Matt Sawyer, those guys around him they've seen how much he's grown as a player off and off the on and off the floor and that's why I think he is now you know put himself as that front runner for the C. I think a lot of people kind of saw this coming. But if you do talk to those guys, and even, you know, Nick Rose, pretty much any interview that you've heard or read, they all also mention about how much this guy prepares for the game, whether it's, you know, watching film, working like an animal in the weight room, taking shots. This is a guy that absolutely loves lacrosse and loves winning and loves being successful. So I think he's a guy that, is going to lead by example, but he's also, you know, he's going to be a guy that's, that's going to be local or uh, vocal in the dressing room as well. And I also think, you know, with him being young, it also helps having a good leadership group with them as well. And I think they picked some good assistants uh, with Schreiber, Hellier, house and Cree. Some young guys in there too. Uh, but I think as a whole, it's a very strong leadership group. And as I mentioned, they think they're going to be a, a strong team for a long time. So it doesn't really make sense to throw a C on a guy that maybe you don't envision will be with the team down the road. If they're building something special here, might as well have a young guy throw with the team as well as their captain. I said, the Rock were playing New England. They're playing Buffalo on the road in Buffalo. Uh, Always a tough place to start. Uh, As mentioned, three games, Toronto-Buffalo, Calgary-Vancouver, Colorado-San Diego. What's your game to watch? Oof. Tough call. That's a that's a real all tough three call, but I think
2: really
4: I, I, all three are really good games. I mean, for me, I think, I, I think it's going to be that Toronto Buffalo game. Uh, what we saw from Buffalo, uh, we, it's what we expected. Their offense is a wagon. They look unbelievable, but the so said improved defense and having Matt Vincent between the pipes, we really didn't see that. Uh, they did not look great in their own end. Matt Vincent. Certainly didn't have his best game. So I'm interested to see what adjustments they make as a unit. And let's be real here. Vino's going to play like Vino. He just needs to figure out how that defense is going to play. And the defense needs to know how they need to play to make Vino the most uh, successful there. So that's a game. Anytime those two teams meet as well, you you know it's going to be an instant classic.
0: Another great weekly chat with Pat Gregoire. Uh, if you get a chance, check out the NLL Flash, a little side gig uh, that Tyson Geike is putting together. Uh, Tyson Geike interviewed myself, Jake Elliott, and Pat Gregoire. Just some thoughts on the three games. And if you get a chance, go to his YouTube channel uh, and just look up the NHL Flash. But great stuff uh, from Pat Gregoire. I'm really interested to see uh, Challen Rogers take the role of captain in Toronto. I think it is a great and natural fit, Um, he has really become uh, a, I think he, I truly believe he might be underrated. I don't think people truly understand the greatness that Chown Rogers displays and has within him. The fact that he was MSL MVP should speak volumes, especially for sort of a, a D tranny type player. That's not a role that you would expect an MVP type player to come from. And I think Challen Rogers is a new wave of athletic beasts that is coming into the NLL 6'3, probably about 215, and can run like the wind. And if I'm way off on 215, Challen, please don't Hulk smash me into the ground. I apologize. I'm not looking at your current stats. Uh, but I think having him as the leader of The Rock is just uh, an absolutely natural choice. Uh, he falls in the likes of Josh Sanderson, uh, Pat Coyle. Not Pat Coy- Oh, Maybe Pat Coyle might have been a captain back in the day. Uh, probably would have been Veltman. Uh, but Veltman, Doyle, uh, the likes of those guys that have worn the C in Toronto uh, is no uh, slight list of so-and-so type players. Only the best of the best have worn the C in Toronto. And I think Challen Rogers is an absolutely fantastic choice. So if you're a Saskatchewan Rush fan, I'm sure you're chomping at the bit to see your team play, and they won't play until after Christmas. They won't even get on the floor as a group until after Christmas. But they will play. But maybe an even bigger question is if when they do play, will guys like Robert Church and Nick Bealich be in the lineup? When I asked head coach and GM Derek Keenan if he had a comment on their negotiations um, and the possibility of that. Simple and expected answer. No comment. Figured as much. And I wasn't going to pry any further because that's a simple answer. It's all I needed to know. But a guy that can give us more answers is Elliot Sacucci, regional attorney for the Professional Players Lacrosse Association, and he represents many players, but also Church and Beelich. We had a chat, and we talked about whether or not we'd see those players in a uniform when the rush take the floor, but he had to get something clear right out of the gate. Holdout isn't a word that we should be using.
4: Well, first of all, I'm going to take a little issue with the the term holdout. Uh, Holdout suggests that you're just withdrawing the services from the team. These are guys that want to play, that have made what I think are extremely friendly, uh, friendly, team-friendly, reasonable offers to the team. Mm -hmm. Um, They're not holding out. They want to be playing, um, and, and very badly. So I'm going to take issue with that term. But otherwise, what can I say? Well, I mean, like I just said, these guys have both made offers that are extremely fair. Um, Candidly, were I allowed to do so and were I to pull some GMs, I think, you know, it would shock some people. Uh, I think there's a a misconception about what players are looking for. First of all, in the world of lacrosse, you know as well as I do, there are no exorbitant salaries. Mm -hmm. Um, But even within the world of lacrosse, what's being sought by these players um, is not not exorbitant. It's very reasonable. Um, so I'm disappointed to be where we are. I know the guys are disappointed, but um we are where we are, and, and what are the chances of, of guys playing? Um, you know, I'd say the ball's in the, the rushes court there. I mean, we're ready to play. Uh, it just depends on what the team does. Do you think the delay in the CBA negotiations and, and moving into a new CBA has delayed things? Well, I mean... You know probably as well as I do that there was a lot of discussion leading up to sort of the moratorium. Um, mm-hmm. Some teams and guys were still talking during the moratorium. I mean, it, it, this was a long time coming. So I, I think human nature, especially anytime you've got sort of a long period of time, you just you end up using it. Um, I know I had discussions on certain players, like certainly Bills and uh, Churchy are not my only clients, and I had right. discussions with players before the moratorium. Uh, and got some things done with some guys. and, and uh, Otherwise, you know, I also represent Dinsdale on the, on the rush. You know, we, we got a deal done there. Um, I'm not sure what impact it is, other than human nature is that you kind of drag your feet until the last possible second if things are at all difficult, and and that's where a lot of guys are. You've got guys all over the league that are needing mm-hmm. to figure out deals still. Uh, well, obviously, we don't need to go too deep into numbers, but um, I'm sure everyone's read the Rich Furlong quotes uh, where he said, you know, Dixon and Berg aren't asking for – loads of money and bonuses, it's just um, a $20,000 bridge between the two of them. Uh, Is there a big gap for for Church and Nick, or is this something that you think can be resolved? Oh, I think it can be resolved. Um, It it is not a big gap. It's Mm. more of a a mental gap than it is a a financial one. I think that in both instances, you've got players that have have paid their dues to this team that have given up uh, everything they can in blood, sweat, and tears. Um, and they just want to be recognized a little bit for that. If, this is not a significant financial hurdle. Um, I, I'm at a, a little bit of a loss as to why we're even in this position, but right. here we are. And, and do you, is this a, a bonus structure issue? Is it a term issue? Uh, is it incentives? What do you think is the big holdup? Well, um, you, there are permutations, right? So if you're mm-hmm. looking at a, a longer-term deal, then you start to look at all the, the constituent elements looking at a short-term deal then it's you know so term i mean both guys would like to be with the team and i think you know most of my clients want to be with their teams for term especially when you've got a, a team that's been uniformly excellent for a period of time the way the rush has been so i don't think term is the issue um but when you say you know i want term and then there's pieces of that the deal you're looking for be it bonuses or incentives Uh, or an employment opportunity, whatever. If those are missing over term, then term becomes a problem. But if you have all the right pieces, then term is fine. Um, Really what we're looking at in both guys' cases is really just a little bit of bonus money. That's all we're really talking about. Do you, as a a player representative, how much conversation do you have and how much stop do you take in watching what other players are making and signing for and have you had a conversation, with, say, with a gentleman like Rich Furlong, kind of talking about player contracts? So um, one of the things that is unique about the National Lacrosse League um, and specifically the regional attorneys, the, the player reps that work in it, is that we are um, we're a fairly tight-knit group of guys. There's not a lot of us. Um, and we do talk extensively about what's going on and, and what guys are, you know, what's on the table with different teams and different guys. Um, you know, we we, we don't – we don't represent each other's clients, but we certainly share information with each other. We get all the information as it comes in from the league anyway um, through the union. So we, we know what the landscape is, um, and we know what – you know. a term that I like to use is, is we know what the marketplace is. Um, what you'll find, though, is that some teams don't care what the marketplace is. So I, I, you can go and talk to some teams, and you've got your comparables, but they're just not interested uh, in hearing about it. So we are – all of us are cognizant of what people are making because um, we get the deals. We take a look at it. We break down the pieces and see, you know, what guys are signing for. Um, and then you take it back and you put it in your toolbox and you try to use it. But what we don't have in lacrosse, what you, which you do see in, in hockey, is um, you don't have leverage for RFAs in terms of, uh, you know, meaningful opportunities for offer sheets because it's very hard to actually become an RFA. Right. And you don't have uh, salary arbitration like you do in hockey. Meaning, if you take a player to, you know, a team and you're saying, like, I'm not under contract, this is what the market will bear for me, Um, you don't have any meaningful method of of really holding the team's feet to the fire. There's no arbitration process, there's no meaningful RFA um, rights, and so you're kind of just stuck. If the team doesn't value your player the way the market does, it's hard to get your player into the market unless they want to sit, unless they want to sit for a year. So as as this negotiation continues to... Do your clients come to you and say, Hey, you know what, I'm getting frustrated. Maybe we can work something out or, or is is trades when do trade talks become a part of a situation where deals aren't being made between yourself and a team? Well, I mean every every negotiation is different, right? And and I've done a number of them now over a number of years. Um, you know, we're not talking we're not talking trades right now. This is not where we right. are with with the, the guys that I have left. Um, I've been involved in trades in the past. I was involved in a, in a really complicated situation with Garrett Billings way back when with The Rock, and that ended up being a, an offer sheet, signed at the last second, and then a trade right. um, once it was matched. So I think, you know, you have to get pretty far down the path for the trade talks to talk uh, right. to, to prop, crop up. Because like most, most players, especially, again, you know, we're talking about Saskatchewan and Russia off the hop. That's that's an excellent team. Most players don't want to get traded out of a team like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, they don't want to go somewhere where they're not going to win. But, you know, there are there's a point of at some point there's diminishing returns to a relationship and to uh, talks. And, you know, that when you're at sort of that point, that's when trades come up. And, look, as a player, we don't really have a lot of ability to force ourselves into a trade, right? That's That's the team's prerogative. The only thing a player can do is withhold their services and say, well, I'm not playing for you. You know, So either you trade me or nobody's going to get the benefit of my services. But that's pretty unusual. Most guys just want to play. Yeah, absolutely. Um And it behooves sort of both sides to, to act reasonably in getting a deal done um, so that they can play and contribute. With the new CBA and, and the direction that, that the commissioner wants to take this league, more teams, more players, higher salaries, longer seasons. Full-time How, athletes, yeah. Full-time athletes, yeah. How important does the role – of yourself and Rich Furlong and the other uh, regional reps um, begin to play in the National Lacrosse? League because back in my day, you know, not everybody used uh, player reps and I'm sure there's still guys that don't. Um, how important does your role become in the future growth of this game? Well, I mean, I, I don't, I view myself as, as an advisor to the players, someone that they can bounce sort of their thought processes off of. I mean, Here's here's the thing about player reps in the NLL. A lot of guys are not formally represented by player reps, um, but they still talk to us. And all of us are happy to sort of help guys put their best foot forward. You know, you awesome. pick up the phone, you tell guys who their comparables are, what you'd be looking for if you were uh, if you were working with them. I mean, a lot of guys just get sort of that informal information. Mm-hmm. I think that that is vital. Um, you know the, the players talk to each other, and then they also talk to us, and they kind of get a sense of what they're worth. So I think that's vital in any sporting landscape. If, if this becomes a full-time venture, you know, it's, it's only going to increase the value of, of a having that kind of advice, whether you're represented or you're just giving the advice. Because then it becomes a bigger stake in sort of your overall livelihood. A lot of these guys are are professional guys,
0: yeah. uh, and they
4: play they play lacrosse because they love it, not because they're making a bunch of money. But if it was if it was a full-time job, then look, the stakes are higher. You you are you know, you're making a significant portion of your livelihood that way. And, and right now we're looking at, you know, the, the potential onset of, of, um, you know, the PLL yeah. inaugural season and whether it, it grows um, that's going to add significant potential revenue streams for guys. Um, you know, we're starting to see a little bit more endorsement deals come into lacrosse and, and these are not uh six and seven figure deals typically, but, but it is adding another revenue stream, which is another important piece of advice you want to get um, a colleague of, of, Mine, who is a player, rep, Lee Augustine out of Denver, is really well-versed in sort of um, the IP world. And so, you know, he'd be the first to tell players that when you're selling your personage and the rights to it, you really want to understand what you're doing because you got to know how it bleeds into any other endorsement deals you want to do. So you have to understand what the, the confines of each type of deal are. Um, and that's important to get information on and, and advice on. So it's going to become more important. Uh, I say that realizing that it's self-serving because I mm-hmm. serve that function. But none of the, the player reps that are doing this are doing it to to get rich. Mostly we do it because we enjoy helping these guys out and we enjoy the game. You mentioned uh, the extension of the, the PLO. You're going to be involved with that in, in some way, shape, or form uh, dealing with players. How excited are you for uh, a league that's going to put players first? Oh, I'm very excited. Um, I think it's the first year with a sort of the barnstorming format will be really interesting to see how that works. Um, but I think a sort of a player's first league, Paul Rabel is an amazing marketer and the group that he's assembled for the PLL are doing a fantastic job of putting the players out front. Um, you know, it it looks like it could be really exciting. I'm a bigger fan of box than I am of field, but I'm excited to see how it works. And they've got the right idea, getting it on TV and, and, uh, trying to catch as many eyeballs as I can as fast as I can. I'm very hopeful that, uh, like I want to see as much lacrosse as I can. I want to see if, if there's a world in which the MLL, the PLL, and the NLL can all succeed and 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 not you know cannibalize one another. Yeah, yeah. that's great. That would be amazing. Um, whether or not that's realistic, I don't know. But the more lacrosse that's available to be consumed, and the more lacrosse that's available for these guys to play, the better. Absolutely. Um, so just coming full circle with guys like uh, nick village and robert church we remember the CBA negotiation with the players association and now you know negotiations and conferences calls are going back and forth how often are you in touch with your clients and how often are you in touch with their team um i talk to my clients almost every day um and oftentimes it is every day and sometimes it's multiple times a day the, uh, the Russian I have spoken. We've been in regular communication. There, there haven't been any sort of really long pauses in that communication. Um, I mean, they know how to reach me. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to pick up the phone at any time. Um, both of these players, I, I think, have, have made, as I said, very reasonable offers and I, and it, I'm waiting sort of by the phone, um, to hear a response. But, you know, we, the lines of communication are open and we talk all the time and I'm, I'm always, speaking to my guys as well. and um, Hopefully it gets done, you know, in very short order so we can get both guys playing.
0: That's Elliot Sicucci, regional attorney and player representative for uh, Nick Bilich, Robert Church, and amongst others, you heard him say uh, he's got Marty Dinsdale in his folder. But very interesting just to hear little things like um, arbitration and, and things like that, and the fact that, you know, in lacrosse, the player agents uh, or the regional attorneys do have conversations with each other and sort of check each other's books and numbers to see where their players are and use that to their advantage to help their clients get the best deal possible. Really interesting stuff there from Elliot. I mean, we're going to rely on him uh, quite a bit for for things like that as the year goes on. But um, keep your eyes to the transaction wire of the National Lacrosse League. Uh Any day those guys could sign, but in talking with Elliot and talking with other people that are involved in negotiations, um, not just uh, involving Saskatchewan, but uh, other teams that have players holding out, things aren't sounding good, um, as one person put it, quote, crickets, unquote. If you were paying attention to the Nash Lacrosse League um, Wires, you would have heard that Dan Carey is moving on from the Mammoth. He will be joining the Pagula Sports Entertainment Group and their new venture into Rochester with the Nighthawks. I had that answer answered for that question answered for me the other day. So yes, once Kurt Styers moves the players to Halifax, they will still indeed be the Rochester Nighthawks. So Dan Carey will move to them. He's going to be the uh, VP of LAX Ops. He's going to be their general manager, and he will have sort of a few more days to be involved with the Mammoth before he moves on from his duties and hands the keys to the castle over to Pat Coyle. Now, before we get to King Coyle, let's just kind of... Talk about some Dan Carey things. I am a massive Dan Carey fan. He's treated me nothing but respect ever since he took over from Steve and then dealing with me and, and my dealings with the club. Talk to any player. Uh, they respect the hell out of Dan Carey and everything that he's done for the sport uh, on the field, and they all know that he's a very bright mind in the lacrosse world, hence why the Pagulas went after Dan. Um this wasn't something that he had on a back burner. It kind of surprised him, came out of the blue, and it was a decision that he had to make and one that he is very comfortable with that he made. Uh, it wasn't an easy, easy decision, but something that he thought about quite heavily, um, weighed the pros and cons, and made the decision. The decision to do it now uh, was, and as opposed to later on in the year, was an obvious one. Um, you want to make sure Pat Coyle is going to be in the right position, but Dan also wants to make sure he isn't kind of tinkering and getting his hand in too many pots. So he just wants to make sure that the ship is still going forward before he docks and moves along. And I think it was a very professional way to do it, uh, commending to uh, the Pagulas for basically asking for permission and going through the right channels. And I think the process that we're going through uh, for the Mammoth is the right one. And so Pat Coyle now will be head coach GM. And it's a lot on his plate. And he's going to have to learn a lot of other things than just being a coach. But in talking with Pat, he's very comfortable in that role, even if there are a lot more hats to wear.
4: I'm busy. I I sort of am finding my way through it. I, I don't think I know how busy I am yet. Yeah. Um, is, is this something you ever thought would come to your plate? It's uh, something that I was hoping would. Honestly, when uh, Dan and I talked about my last contract as the coach, I actually asked if I ever had an opportunity to be a GM that that would allow me, you know, to let me let me out of my contract. Mm-hmm. So it's something I was sort of hoping to do at some yeah. point. And uh, now that this has kind of been thrown on your plate, um, what's the biggest challenge for you? Um, I would say, so I feel comfortable um, with the players, like knowing who the guys in the league are, who's available. I feel pretty comfortable with that. But just I would say we don't really know – I don't really know what else is – like all the work that goes in behind the scenes yeah you know as a coach you're just sort of um walking in and hope you want as little distraction as you can and uh this is pretty much all about distraction (laughs) Uh, yeah (laughs) right so yeah i i just think it's learning it's just learning Mm -hmm. a lot yeah when i spoke with dan uh during the week he kind of mentioned that You know, this was something that kind of came out of the blue and it was a conversation that was had. Uh, How did you find out, and were you as surprised as everybody else? For sure. Dan Dan told me. Uh, Dan came and talked to me about it. And I, for sure, I didn't have that on my radar at all. I don't think anybody did. And uh, just really happy for my friend, though, like when he talked to me about it. You know, I don't know if it's the best thing that could happen to the Mammoth right now, but it's a really good opportunity for Dan. Speaking of the Mammoth, obviously the home opener this weekend uh, against another good friend of yours and Steve Govett and the San Diego Seals. We don't need to worry about them. Let's focus on you guys. How prepared are you guys going into a very big season? I think, uh, even with the shortened Uh, training camps i think we're we're pretty ready Uh, i like the fact that we got to back east there and we got to have a couple exhibition games and pretty much everyone got a game in to compete against other guys like we played toronto and we played uh, new england there and i think that really helped um just get that the feel of the game going again Mm mm-hmm
0: you only really
4: add two new faces to your starting 21, uh, in Linton Garrettano. How important is it to have that familiarity and that chemistry in your lineup from day one? I think huge. Um, you sort of look at the other lineups and the turnover this year was huge for, for most teams. And that's one of the things that struck me is how little we have even though we lost some you know good players really good players and Zach Greer and Greg Downing and Bryce Sweeting and Cam Holding we didn't really lose Cam Holding in a way mm-hmm. because he he wasn't playing but uh most everyone that's stepping in has been a starter even John Lynch right so he's mm-hmm. going to he's going to start for us and he's a guy that's won three championships so Hopefully we don't really miss a beat. And you can see um, the teams that have been able to stay together. Saskatchewan's a really good example with their defense, how familiar they are with each other that um, you can tell that when they're playing. And and our guys, I'm hoping we're around that sweet spot now where we've played together long enough that – we just get together, and it's like they were playing yesterday when you know after a year it's it looks it looks like that at least, and i think we're I think we're ready to go. Maybe the biggest change you guys made is beside you on the bench with willie and Ryder coming in. How is your chemistry with them uh been going on in the first couple of weeks it, it's It's a process I think yeah. they're both I get along with both of them really well, and that's part partly why um i think we decided on those two first and foremost just to be because i'm comfortable with them i trust them um but i think there's going to be some growing pains where yeah. even for me i'm because i'm so comfortable at the even when i'm the coach i'm more comfortable at the back end of the bench more with yeah. the d guys so um just uh it's it's going to be a learning process for all three of us and I don't know for me I I'm excited uh, by the challenge of that that you know I think if we go in to a season sort of uncomfortable and and not in our set ways I just think that makes us better because Mm -hmm. it's going to challenge us we get to I've already you know see things through two different sets of eyes that with Chris and Dan, we get so used to what each other see and do. And uh, just having a different perspective already has made me think so, think of things differently. Not that it wasn't good before, just sometimes different Yeah, is good, right? Well, the one thing that that uh, Coats and Dylan Ward mentioned to me when we had them on the show is now you can kind of focus more on game aspects and let the other two guys, Worry about the O and D. How are you adjusting to kind of seeing the game as a whole now? Uh, I like it. It lets yeah. me see the it let it lets me see the O more because mm-hmm. generally before I'm, you know, coaching guys as they're coming off or getting ready for them to go back on on the right. D end, and I don't really. I just sort of would let Gilly and stroopy deal with the O more. But um, what what chances are what's going to happen? is the old guys are going to get yelled at a little more <laughs> is what's going to happen, if I'm being honest. Because, you know I'll see, yeah, I'll see stuff that I'll be like, oh, man, that's not good. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I just think, I I don't know, I, I'm really excited to be able, to, again, to, to be, just expand what I'm doing. And I'm hoping through that our, our team gets better as well. How have you, um, appreciated the preparation of the players? You talked about the shortened training camp. Uh, to be able to come in, um, and missing those first two weeks and have to come into camp sort of going off their schedule. How, how impressed were you with the preparation of your players? Awesome. I incredible how, um, the fitness level of our group coming in and, um, I, I think part of, you know, the, the strike everyone by the end was so was like just chomping at the bit, ready to go. And I think that sort of um went in like when we went to camp there you could you could see that and and that looked like preparation too. Like it was eagerness. It was everyone was hungry to ready to go. So uh I'm really impressed actually man with how professional uh, a group that we have there in Colorado and that they're just taking care of business. Kicks off Saturday against the San Diego Seals. It's going to be different seeing Steve Govett on the other side, but uh, how are you prepping for the San Diego club that, that may be an expansion team, but already looking like a very bonset team. Yeah. Well, I mean, the good thing is we're, I was just talking uh, about our scouting report today and a lot of the players we know it's, mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times you go in with an expansion team, and you're there's a there's a handful that you're like, I we don't know anything about this guy, but you know, Brody Merrill, we know what we're getting, and Dan Dawson, you know what you're getting, and um, yeah, we're preparing for them. As I I think if we go in thinking this is an expansion team, this is their first game, so it should be a win for us. I think that would be like so foolish of us mm-hmm. and uh you just looked at their lineup and i i think austin stotts is going to be i think he's going to be like a challenge right away like a a marquee sort of matchup so I, I don't know we're just preparing for them like we would prepare for any other team that is in this league that if you if you take a night off you'll lose it's not it's not gray man like you're going to lose if you don't prepare like the best you can with Dan Coates coming back is it safe to say that he will uh take the C back from Robert Hope or is that a decision still to be made no that's that's gonna be that's that's what we're doing Coates is gonna be the C. how important is it to have him back because I know uh he learned a lot as a person watching last year and he went through a lot of tough times having to watch uh but he told me that he was able to see the game from a different aspect how uh important it is to have him back in the roster uh huge huge hope he did hope he did a great job without Absolutely. Coetzee there like hope he is a great captain in his own rights and in and in reality, you know it's almost like we have two captains, but their personalities are are really different um where Coetzee cozi burns really hot um, <laughs> yeah yeah so uh he's always got his game face on all season it feels like and just to have that intensity around the team um keeps guys a little more accountable um you know when you come into the dressing room and you're like sort of relaxed and casual and then you see this guy you know with lasers coming out of his eyes it's Mm -hmm. it's hard not to change and That's the effect I think that he can have on us as a group that just change our focus a little more, uh, change our accountability a little more. I think it's, it's huge. You expect any jitters Saturday night? I expect there will be like for a minute and then the game starts and then it's just lacrosse again. It's what we do.
0: Getting back to lacrosse. That's just what we do. And I think for, all lacrosse players, just to be able to get out there and do it, put the helmet, sticks, and gloves on, and go out and go to battle with your brothers. That's the focus, and that's the MO of everybody going into each week, every game. Focus on yourselves. Things will take care of themselves. Stay within yourselves, play your game, have some fun, and go win a lacrosse game. Are you pumped up? Did I just give you the... Go win one for the Gipper speech? Maybe not. Mammoth take on the Seals Saturday night in Colorado. The lone game on Saturday. The only other two games on the NLL docket go Friday. Toronto making their season debut on the road against arch rival Buffalo. Uh, that game in Buffalo, as mentioned, you can see it on BR Live. And then the nightcap, the rematch of the thriller. At the Saddle Home, Calgary taking on Vancouver, the Warriors' home opener in Rogers Arena. There is another game that I'm very interested to see. And I talked about coming back to an old market where the NLL had already been. This is going to be a true test to see where the Warriors are in that marketplace and if they've done everything they can for this home opener. I'm very interested to see what happens. I truly have no gauge um, on the pulse of the Warriors in downtown Vancouver. I've really appreciated some of their socials uh, talking about lacrosse is back downtown. I thought the yoga video was absolutely classic. And I think that they're, they're doing the right thing. They're going after non-generic lacrosse people. And if you can get those people inside the arena, you're going to keep them coming back. So I'm hoping for a good crowd in Vancouver uh, on Friday night. You know there's going to be a good crowd in Buffalo. And, of course, Saturday night, myself, Jamie Shuchuk, and John Gallant, the three-headed monster, will have the call from the Pepsi Center on BR Live and Altitude TV. Uh, Can't wait to get back into Denver. I fly out Friday. Um, But that'll be it for the year Um, because it's the holidays next week, and everybody needs some time away. Um, and unfortunately, when I do my podcast on Tuesdays, happens to be Christmas Eve and New Year's Day. So uh, we will be out of service for a couple of weeks. No fears. We'll be back and we'll be better than ever than in 2019. Thank you to Scott Gabrielson. Thank you to Pat Gregoire, Elliot Sacucci, Pat Coyle. And as always, thanks to you, my loyal listeners who have been with me from the start and continue to roll through me through 2019. My name's Teddy Jenner. Find me on Twitter at OffTheCrossbar. Email me jenner at gmail.com. You can find our guests on Twitter as well. Scotty Gabrielson at ScottGames8, Pat Gregoire, Pete Greggy, Elliot Sikuchi, Elliot 1T, Sikuchi 4Cs, and King Coil 2, Pat Coil. Until next time, happy holidays, happy new year, and BX to each other.